I'll, I'll rehire her next week. So anyway, we're looking, we're going through a topical study. You guys know this. And I'll try not to make it four years. But anyway, we're talking about uh, uh, signposts of life. And, um, yeah. And so what we're getting ready to do is we're getting ready to look at the second signposts. And we began our study uh, talking about biblical values for life. That's your second signpost, biblical values of life. And I spoke a little bit about the importance of these biblical values. And boy, I tell you what, nowadays that can't be stressed enough. Uh, The failure to adopt these uh, biblical values uh, will lead to tragedy, lead to all sorts of consequences that aren't pleasant. But yet if you hold to these biblical values, uh, they'll give you hope, they'll give you strength, they'll give you courage during these times. Uh, These biblical values also, I pointed out, are not unique to the book of Proverbs. These are values you're going to read from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. So when I start talking about these particular values, you guys are going to know what they are. You just are. As soon as I mention them, you know what what they are. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about these these, uh, biblical values that... um, that are found here in the Word of God that we need to adopt and nurture in our own life. And if you remember, I was talking about um, in Matthew 15 where the uh, Pharisees and the religious folks were upset because the disciples didn't wash their hands first before they ate. And so they got all bent out of shape because of the tradition of the elders and they were all concerned about the superficial washing of the hands, not realizing that the real cleansing needed to take place somewhere else. And that's where we're headed. Where is the real, where is the real issue in all this? So turn to Matthew chapter 15. Uh, this is where we're going to start from, but this is not where we're going to stay. So he addresses uh, the um, religious folks about their traditions of men over the word of God and so he uses this opportunity to turn to those who were following him, his disciples, those who were listening to him. And here we find in Matthew 15:10, he says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draught, or draught, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? The heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So you see the issue is the heart. That's the root issue of, of everything that's going on 
on this good old planet earth. It's the, it's, the, it's the heart that's the real issue. And that's what the book of Proverbs deals with time and time again is the issues of the heart. He says, he says in Proverbs 2.1, he says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear to wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Again, he says in Proverbs 3.3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. Proverbs 4.21, Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. And then Proverbs 7.3, Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Approximately 78 times in the book of Proverbs alone is this issue of the heart being mentioned by the inspired writer of Proverbs as he is trying to instruct his son about the real issues of life. It's from the heart. Now what do we mean, or what I should say, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of the heart? I think you guys may know what it means. But there are some folks that aren't really clear on what it means when the Bible talks about the heart. Is it talking about that physical organ that's in our chest that's pumping the blood through the circulatory system? Well, guess what? Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it does talk about that. Uh, you remember Nabal? Abigail's uh, husband and what was going to happen to Nabal because of his churlish ways David was going to come and wipe him out Abigail got news of it and went and convinced David don't do this don't you know don't commit this sin you're going to regret it later and he says yeah you're right I'm not going to do it and so Abigail goes back and you know Nabal he's having a good time he's got a good harvest you know things are going well and so uh, he's having a party, and so Abigail, while he's having a party, tells him what the near miss that he had. And First Samuel twenty five thirty seven says, But it came and pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. So what happened? He had a heart attack, didn't he? And I think the Bible says ten days later he dies. So he had an infarction or whatever they want to call those things. I don't know what they call those things. But he heard the news and it was such shocking news that he actually, it was bad for his heart. He had a heart attack. So yeah, the Bible does talk about that physical organ that's part of our circulatory system. That is true. But there's also another way that the Bible talks about the, the heart. Now where is the heart located in, a, in our chest? Yeah, kind of, kind of in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when the Bible speaks of the heart, that's what it's, that's what that's what it refers to in a spiritual sense. It's the core. It's your inner being. It's who you are as a person. As an example, in Job forty-one twenty-four, it says, "His heart is as firm as stone; yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone." Now, the context of this. Job chapter is talking about Leviathan. And Leviathan is a type or a picture of guess who? Satan. Satan. And so he's, he's speaking of Satan that his heart is as firm as stone, yea, as hard as a piece of another millstone. Now, I don't know if angelic beings actually have a beating heart like we do. Alright? Um... That's up for conjecture. 
if they did, and I'm not saying they do, if they did, if, if this creature's heart was stone as Nabal's heart, that means that this creature would keel over and die. But that's not what it's talking about, is it? No, it's talking about the attitude, the rebellious, wicked, anti-God attitude that this creature, this creature is so stuck in its rebellion, so hardened in its hatred of God, that there's no changing it. He is locked in his hatred. He is locked in his rebellion against the Most High. Everything this creature thinks, everything that this creature does, every his, his very attitude is anti-God. Everything about him. And what it cracks me up is these people, these idiots who want to worship this creature. You know? What stupidity, because that creature doesn't give an nth about them. He's anti-love. He's anti-peace. He's anti-everything that God stands for. But that's the heart of this creature. That's the heart of this creature. We don't want that kind of attitude, do we? I know I don't. But that's, that's the other way of looking at the heart. It's, it's your attitude. It's, it's what you think. It's what drives you. It's who you are as a person. Who you are as a person. That's why these biblical values that we're going to cover is so important. Because these biblical values give you the right heart versus the other heart. These biblical values give you the right heart, the right attitude of heart. You know, James uh, speaks about this, this being's heart when he talks about the wisdom that descendeth not from above, where envying and strife and confusion and every evil work, that's what, that's, that describes everything the devil is all about. And those who follow after the, you know, his wisdom, what does Ephesians call them? The children of disobedience? You know? So these biblical values are very important. Now, I also will say this about these biblical values. They're going to sound um, idealistic to some folks. You know, idealistic, uh, almost unattainable. Well, I'm going to be honest. Yes. (laughs) They are. They are. And she agrees with me. (laughs) They are unattainable. But that makes sense because they're biblical values. That makes sense. But that isn't necessarily a bad thing. That should encourage us to reach for them to reach for them to aspire to um, have them in our lives these values in our lives you know Jesus is the light of the world is he not and 1 John tells us to for us to walk in the light as he is in the light well these biblical values is that light 
is that light. He is that light. I mean, we are a blessed people. We know that light is a person. Don't we? We know that light is a person. And we have the privilege to walk in the light with this person. That's what it says here in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sin. Now think about that for a minute, folks. We can walk in fellowship with the light, who is Jesus Christ. Do we? (laughs) Do we take advantage of that? Do we take advantage of that? One of my favorite passages in, is found in Philippians. It, this is a passage that I go to often when I you know, feel the burdens and, and, and the weights and, the, and I feel myself you know, beginning to you know, get all self-focused and you know, all that kind of stuff, depressed and all that. I go to this passage found in Philippians chapter 3. And he says here in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I, that if that if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, he says in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended this one, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting those things that drag me down, forgetting those things that I think I'm no good, I'm rotten, this and that, forgetting those things in my past that try to keep me, you know, from advancing or progressing in my walk with Christ, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth onto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That encourages me. That encourage, that gives me hope. You know, the cliff notes on the biblical values that we're getting ready to, to talk about, the cliff notes on the biblical values is this. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of these values. And he lives in us. Right now, if you're a born-again believer, he lives in us. And guess what? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So when we are living out these biblical values, we are living out the life of Christ that each and every one of us possesses. Now why aren't you shouting hallelujah? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. And you know what? Something else. That is God's will for your life. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
That's God's will for you and me. Paul was so confident of this purpose, he wrote to the Philippians, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Until we're raptured or resurrected or whatever comes first. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That gives me hope. That's what motivates me to keep moving on. Do you strive for for perfection? Do you? We should. And what I mean by perfection, I don't mean sinless perfection. I mean maturity. Don't you want to grow up? I get tired tired sometimes of my childish ways. I do. I get tired of it. I want to grow up. I want to be mature. I want to be an adult. We all are running in a race. Did you realize that? 1 Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth a prize? So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible, corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, least that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now that doesn't mean he's going to lose his salvation. That simply means he's going to lose his prize. I don't want to lose my prize. I want to stay in the race. I may not run the race as well as others. You know, my daughter, she has the endurance ministry. And that gal can run circles around me. Backwards. But I still finish the course she sets for us. Three and a half grueling miles. All uphill. Coming and going. Oh, thank you for telling me that. Now, we're never going to be completely perfect in this life. This perfection is promised us um, later on. But that isn't to be an excuse to not press toward the mark. Not press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You know, when you stop pressing toward the mark and you stop growing, what other direction is left to you? You start digressing, sliding back. When we give up in our race, in our striving for the prize, a type of spiritual E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. Entropy. A spiritual entropy takes place. You know what happens when we stop striving? 
reaching and pressing towards that the world starts becoming more and more of an influence our flesh starts becoming more and more of an influence that new man that we are is no longer evident I don't want that I don't want that Paul says in Philippians 3.15 let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded and if anything ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you you know that's one of the things if you're, inter- if you're, if you're striving for the mark God's going to point things out in your life uh, Jeff you need to work on this Jeff you know we, this is good but we could improve here am I the only one that experiences that praise God that he takes an interest right praise God that he takes an interest in his children because he wants his children to grow up and these values these values are and I don't think we use these words anymore these values are to become convictions right how many in here remembers the word conviction? Yeah. These values become convictions. I think, I think the, the, the popular thing now is core beliefs. I think is the popular thing now. Core beliefs. Uh, this, is, this is what makes you who you are. This is what drives you. This is what leads you to reform things in your life. This is, this is what you're always constantly finding yourself realigning your priorities, uh, you know, making the necessary course corrections. It's because of these biblical values. What is it, Pastor Brian? They become a part of our spiritual DNA. I talked about DNA. You know something interesting to me? I have, I have never read in the Bible of any person in the Bible who has reached this state of absolute perfection. Is there anybody you can think of? I mean, there's some good men and women in the Bible. But I have yet to read one that has reached this absolute state of... Well, I take that back. One person. There's only one person I can think of. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But all the others, no. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the standard. Remember when I said idealistic and hard to... Uh, but that's the standard. One man wrote, I would rather aim at perfection and fall short of it that aim at imperfection and meet it. <laughs> I meet imperfection a lot. 
The book of Proverbs talking about the wise in heart. Wise in heart. I better be careful to say that distinctly. Wise in heart. That sounds like a German last name, doesn't it? <laughs> Proverbs 16:21 to 24, he says, The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Increaseth learning. What is that telling me? There's still more to learn. Understanding is a wellspring of life. This is a constant flow unto him that hath it. But the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. This is something that's progressive, continuous. A wise man is not a know-it-all. I know you guys know this. A wise man is not a know-it-all. What is a wise man? A wise man is someone who knows they don't know it all. But a wise man knows where they can go to find out what they need to know about all. Right? The Word of God. That's a wise man. That's a wise man. So... I know you guys are going to be shocked. That would make me a wise man. And guess what? You too. Right? If you're going to God's word for instruction to find that wisdom and knowledge, guess what? That makes you a wise person too. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Are there consequences if we avoid taking on these biblical values making them a part of our DNA yeah you bet there is Ecclesiastes 12:11 through 12 says the words of the wise are as goads that is it you know it encourages you it prompts you and as nails fastened by masters of assemblies i love this which are given from one shepherd now who is that shepherd the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And further by these, my son, be admonished. He says, pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes is warning the, warning the young man. He's saying, don't go beyond what God has written to find wisdom. Don't go beyond what God's word has written to find wisdom concerning life on earth under the sun. He says to the young man, he says, guard against man's words robbing you of God's word. Don't fall into the snare of allowing God, uh, allowing man's word to validate God's word. Isn't that what goes on? No, he says, you let God's word validate man's word. And if man's word doesn't line up to God's word, then whose word will you take? Contrary to the one who fears God and finds his written word the source of wisdom, you have your scorners and your skeptics with their making of many books and their much study as weariness. I looked this up. I was curious. How many philosophies are existent today in the world? 
So I looked it up. From A to Z. Currently from the philosophy of absurdism, which refers to the conflict between the human tendency to seek inherent value and meaning in life and the human inability to find these with any certainty. Boy, haven't we run into that? To Z, Zuravanism, which is a religious philosophy of fatalism, that all destiny is pre-written and nothing and no one can change it. So from A to Z, currently, there are 406 various philosophies. Weariness of study. And on top of that, it depends on who you go to, there's, there's 7 to 12 branches of philosophy. So you got 406 different opinions out there. And not a one of them know the truth. Proverbs 14.6 says, A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Skeptics and scorners, by, de- by definition, are folks who are unsure of their beliefs. That's why there's 406 different philosophies or viewpoints of life. They're unsure of their beliefs. That's what makes them a scorner and a skeptic. They don't know what it is they believe. They don't know what it is they believe. I wish I could take that clock and move it back about 20 minutes. Ecclesiastes 8.16 says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for, there, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther though a wise man think to know it, yet he shall not be able to find it. Remember, the key here is under the sun. These are folks who are looking for wisdom without... God's revealed word. And he says they're not going to find it. They're not going to find it. That's why Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge or understanding. That's where you start. That's why that first signpost, the fear of the Lord, is so crucial to establish in your life. His authority in your life, the authority of his person, the authority of his word. That's why that very first signpost is so crucial when you get started. Because if you don't look at God's word as your authority, then you're left in the dark. Does that make sense? You know, we had that warning in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We looked at that word vision, and that's talking about God's word. A little bit of history. When the persecuted European Christians came to this land, they brought with them these biblical values. Right? They brought with them these biblical values. They sowed the seed that made this nation great. It was spiritual seed. These were not perfect people. 
These were not perfect people. But they came with a strong belief in the Word of God and a strong belief in the God of the Word. And so they sowed spiritual seeds in this nation that made this nation great. God-fearing men who desired to educate other God-fearing men, they created these universities and these colleges. You realize all of the big Ivy League colleges were started by God-fearing men? That they wanted to train other God-fearing men so these God-fearing men would be good leaders for this nation? It's not that way now. It's not that way now. In the 1700s, the Great Awakening occurred. The likes of Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley. These, these revivals, this Great Awakening established the biblical foundation for this nation. Prior to the Revolutionary War against the, the tyranny of the King of Great Britain, that Great Awakening gave the spiritual strength and stamina that that ragtag band of men who fought against the greatest army and the greatest navy in the world and beat them. In spite of what the rewriters of history teach us, it was the preaching and teaching of the Bible that broke the back of slavery in this country. Not the Civil War. It was the Bible preaching against it. And yet the very values that this nation has been built upon, we've chucked them. We've relinquished them. We've abandoned them. Uh, most of you, I can say this, in our lifetime, in the 1960s and 70s, we witnessed the rise of New Age religions based upon Far Eastern mysticism that took root in the consciousness of the young people of this country that led to all that hippy-dippy stuff that occurred in the 1960s. And we're still feeling the effects of it today in our educators. Amos 8, 11 through 12, uh, Randy mentioned this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a, th- uh, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of God. And they shall wander from sea to sea, or coast to coast, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of of the Lord and not find it. There has been a steady growth of skepticism take root in our country, especially among our youth, to the point that... um, Whole cities are now held captive by anarchists. And those who want to uphold the law and the truth are now considered the enemies of the state. Who would ever thought that we would be in this situation? During that period of the 1960s and 70s, prayer and the Bible were banished from public schools. The sexual revolution with Howard Hughes as its poster child became the enlightened new way. And there was a breakdown of the traditional family 
We as a nation have lost our anchor. We're now adrift. We're a people where there is no clear moral vision. And we see that in our governmental leadership today. I think this nation will soon become shipwrecked unless God has mercy on us and there's a great revival take place. And I'm not talking about a political revival like your conservative talking heads are trying to encourage. What this country really needs is a spiritual revival. We need to get right back to the roots of what made this country great. Donald Trump's not going to do it for us, folks. There's been a lot of valiant efforts trying to turn back some of this stuff. But if you read your Bible, you kind of know where we're headed, don't you? But we're not to lose heart. We're not to lose heart. Again, that's why these biblical values are so important. Because we do have sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters. Um, last Wednesday, Pastor Randy started his manuscript evidence. And he said, he made, the, he made the point, he said the key issue in Christianity in the last days of the church age, prior to the rapture, will be the issue of the authority of God's word, the Bible. Boy, howdy. And he mentioned the church. And believe me, if you are aware, the church is so confused on which Bible, aren't they? It's even true of our own country. We have rejected the Bible, the very foundation upon which the Constitution was established. And now America, pay attention to what's going on, folks. Now America is trying to find meaning through myths. Myths. The youth of our nation is now following the likes of men like Joseph Campbell who wrote a a best-selling book on all religion is a myth. Bestseller. George Lucas. Star Wars. And then James Cameron who, um, what was that movie he did? Titanic. Yeah, but the other one with the blue people. Oh, Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, they're selling myths to provide meaning in life. Instead of Almighty God, it's now acceptable to say the force be with you. What's being introduced here, folks? In the consciences of generations, now we have the idea of an impersonal power that we now call the universe. Have you ever heard that? Well, if the universe will bless me, or if... What happened to God Almighty? What happened to God Almighty? And the popular entertainment today on the on the, the movie screens and the big money maker is now these uh, DC and Marvel comic book heroes come to life on the screen and on television. I think almost every night of the week there's some sort of superhero comic book like program going on. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. 
It's just a knockoff of the old mythical stories that they used to tell in ancient Greece and Rome and Babylon. The stories, the saga of gods and demigods and humans in conflict with each other. And the hero of the story either being a, a figure of tragedy or, or, you know, a figure of conquest. But that's what's being offered to the young people. You know what that is? That's nothing short than the old serpent giving his side of the story. And people are loving it. They're buying into it. Why? The consequences of of abandoning the biblical values. What was once touted as a liberation and enlightenment movement that was to free us from these archaic values is the very thing that has enslaved this nation in immorality and debt. Our debt is in the trillions, and we keep getting deeper in debt. That's scary. That's very scary. And I don't know, you guys, if you pay attention, you know, there's no longer any kind of moral foundation which our young people can turn to now for stability. And you know what's settled in our nation today? A fatalistic nihilism. You know, they like to blame things on the pandemic. I'm thinking if we had these biblical values solid, I think we would have weathered this pandemic a little better. But we've got young people out there who've lost hope. Because they've never been given the reason for hope in the first place. You know, Jesus spoke a parable in Luke 6.46. Turn to Luke chapter 6.46. This is exactly where we are. I, I, I'm kind of sound like a Debbie Downer, aren't I? But what I'm doing is I'm building up to our first biblical value. And once, you know, once I go through all of this depressing (laughs) news you're going to see why this next biblical value is so important but look at Luke 6.46 he says and why call ye me Lord Lord and do not the things which I say okay there's signpost number one the authority of God whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them I will show you to whom he is like he is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock and when the flood arose the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great now notice what Jesus started this parable ye call me Lord Lord and do not the things which I say again it's that first signpost it's the, it's the authority of God in our lives multitudes today are building their houses on foundations of sand they put their hopes in careers or money their safety and welfare in men's governments how's that working I mean, 
You know, you put your trust in a government who is more than glad to enforce this notion. Why? So that they can gain more control over. We see that going on to the north of us. In Canada. And they believe that their house will stand the test of time. But when the wind comes along and the waves come along and a tragedy like a pandemic happens, then what happens? Their, their life just comes crashing down. Comes crashing down around their heads. And they begin to wail that everything worthwhile is now gone. Those who have built their house on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, when the winds and waves come and beat vehemently upon the house, they understand the limitations of their material house. But yet, where is their hope founded? Where is it sitting on? It's sitting on the rock of Jesus Christ. Do you have hope for the future? For your future? I hope you do. Because our hope is Jesus Christ. The stock market might crash, might lose your job, house might burn down, but is this eternity? No, it's not. That's why this first biblical value that I'm going to teach on is so important. Proverbs 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? If, if they've abandoned all these biblical values and everything is going to down the toilet or whatever, what can the righteous do? Proverbs 11.4 The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. We can take hope because God is still on the throne. Man's government doesn't know what to do, but God's still in control. Do you believe that? It's tough sometimes. Proverbs 10.3 says, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. I've seen that so many times. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. you believe that? Well, I hope so. Because that is the very first, I'm going to have to stop here, that is the very first biblical value that we need to hold to and make it part of us. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3.
Somebody read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Biblical value number one. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That follows the first signpost in the fear of the Lord. God is your authority. His word is your authority. Okay, yes, God is my authority. He is my king. He is my Lord. His word is my guide. It is my map through this lifetime. Yes, I hold to that. Okay, then... Do you trust in the Lord with all thine heart? If you admit, if you give that lip service to God that yes, he is my authority, his word is my authority, then is that present? That's the very first biblical value that follows the fear of the Lord. is to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Is this easy? Sometimes. When things are going good. Right? When you're not facing scary news from the doctor or the bills are paid and the kids are being obedient but what about when the doctor says Mr. Trude I've got some bad news for you or the kids are bouncing off the wall or I wouldn't wish this on my enemy begin to rebel against everything you've taught him So trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's the very first biblical value that we are going to look at. And we're going to stop there. Any comments? Yes, sir. Proverbs 11.4. Give me a second and I'll get there. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. Yeah, when you were reading it, for some reason I didn't. I don't remember reading that. Did I read that?